0: Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who you the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hands have saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of all the people or of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead, and 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Then verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them, I will shift them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you the same shall go with you and whoever i say to you this one will not go with you the same will not go with you so he brought the people down to the water and the lord said to get in everyone who lapsed from the water with his tongue as a dog laps you shall set apart you shall set apart by himself likewise everyone who gets down on his knees to drink And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300, say 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took the provisions and the trumpets in in their hands and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of the Midian was below him in the valley. Do it God's way, get his results. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, bless us as we seek to hear a word from you. We ask in Christ's name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If you uh, find yourself in a position where you are in the market for a new car, uh, there are a lot of different ways to purchase a car, but most people still go into the dealership to actually sit down with a salesperson to determine once they've decided the type of car they want, they go to the particular dealership that sells that model. Once you have sat down with the salesperson and you identify with them what it is that you're interested in, they will put before you an inventory sheet. And the inventory sheet includes all of the accessories that are offered by that particular vehicle. And the more expensive the car, the more horns and whistles, the more lux- luxurious uh, uh, extras you will find with the vehicle. And so you look at uh, that inventory and you consider the price with all of the horns and whistles. And if you haven't run out of the, the uh, car dealership, the next step is to actually go outside and to observe the vehicle that you have identified your potential, as your potential purchase. So the salesperson will give you a test drive. And as you're test driving, they will tell you how to navigate. And uh, when we were looking for a car, I just how much I love my wife. We went to seven different dealerships. That's love. That, that, that's love. Yeah, that's love. Amen. I would have purchased something at the first place. So after you're done with the test drive and you're comfortable with the price, the accessories, now you want to make a deal 12 hours later, however much time it takes to be at the car dealership. The salesman will direct you to the financial person and then they will begin to go through the contract with you. Amen? And the last part of that contract is the maintenance plan. Anybody know about a maintenance plan? And they tell you all the horns and whistles and extra things that you can get with a, with a maintenance plan depending upon you want scratch resistant or you name it, they can just about have it for cost. And then they talk about the best way to protect your car and to get it to function as the manufacturer has designed it. Tell you about how often you need an oil change, when you need your tires rotated. Uh, They will tell you uh, things about the the warranty on the engine, from bumper to bumper, and things of that nature. And uh, they'll tell you about the air conditioning and the, the different types of things that you need. They'll talk about the, the, the icons that will come on the dashboard. If, if something is amiss that shouldn't be uh, functioning in a particular way, an icon will come, and they'll say, you can look in the handbook. They still have those, right? They still have those handbooks, right? So you can look at to identify what is this icon about, and they'll tell you, what you what's going on and what you, what you need to do. Now, if you do according to the manufacturer's instructions, you're going to get the manufacturer's results. You're going to get the best you possibly can. Now, if the, if the manufacturer says unleaded or oh, you're not going to put diesel fuel in your tank. Give me some sugar and water this week. I don't have no money for no regular. You're not going to do that because according to the manual, the instructions, that is not what you should do if you want the proper results you got to do what you should do to get the desired results somebody say amen. amen just like we understand when it comes to purchasing expensive vehicles that if you want a certain result you got to do what the manufacturer's manual tells you the same is true in the spiritual realm we've got to do What God tells us to do to get his results. We got to do what God says do to get his results. When we come to Judges chapter 7, this is the period in the history of the nation of Israel, the Bible says in Judges chapter 16 verse 23, in those days there was no king and every man did what was right in his own eyes. What's interesting about this period of time when there was no central leadership is that it follows the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is a book that talks about the conquest of the nation of Israel under the leadership of General Joshua who succeeded Moses by not only taking the people into the land and conquering the land, but they began to do what God told them. He says, completely annihilate and drive out the evil people in the land. And so, under the leadership of Joshua, that process began. But after Joshua died, the people the Bible says in, in uh, Judges chapter 2, verse 10, the nation that followed, the, the generation that followed Joshua, they did not know God, nor the miracles that he had done. And so instead of driving, completing the task of driving the inhabitants of the land out, they moved next door to them. And so what God did was to allow the inhabitants of the land to become the oppressors of the nation of Israel because they refused to obey God to drive the people out of the land. And so you have seven cycles in the book of Judges, seven times, where God raises up what's called, in, the case, in this case, uh, Gideon was a judge, and the judge is not the kind of judge who just rendered a, a, a de- decision about $83 million, but uh, not that kind of judge. We aren't even talking about that, but we're talking about a military and political leader that God would raise up every time the children of Israel would come to him in repentance and prayer and turn back to him, God would raise up a military and political leader to give direction to the nation for victory. Gideon was one of those leaders. Now, if you know the story of Gideon, if you were choosing a general, a leader, he would not have been the guy. He wouldn't have been the guy. And we're not gonna talk about that because things change when God gets his hands on our life. Somebody say amen. 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 And so God instructs Gideon as the judge to mobilize the people of Israel to go against one of their oppressors who had made Israel a vassal nation. They were a vassal nation in that they were paying tribute to owners of land that God had given to Israel. They were the tail instead of the head. They were beneath instead of above. And so God says, mobilize the people from the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the clarion call goes out. 32,000 men show up. And, and Gideon is impressed. He's, in, he's amazed. And, uh, and he, 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 he's thinking that this, this, is, this may be okay. Uh, it's going to work out. But what he didn't understand Was to do it God's way and get his results doesn't always make sense to us. Somebody say amen. Amen. Doing it God's way to get his results, as we go through this text, will cause us to do like Gideon. He had a lot of questions. What's going on here? We started off with 32,000. And then God systematically says, strip, strip. And I want to walk through this with you as we consider the time that, we, that is before us as we are moving to Middletown and God has formulated a transition team and I'm looking at our ragtag, but we got, we got, we got some folk who love Jesus and we're willing to serve and we, we, we got this, this, this challenge ahead of us and it, it would seem like God would be adding and giving us these, these kind of folks and those kind of folks, but God says, what I want you to accomplish to do what I'm calling you to do to get my results, I'm going to start with what I got. What, I ha- what, I- what God has here is what he wants to use, and if we do it God's way, guess what we're going to get? We're going to get God's results. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, now, what makes God's, what makes doing things God's way so difficult? Let's go back to verse one. It says, "Then Jerubel, uh, that's Gideon and all the people that were with him rose up early morning and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that they camped. The camp of the Midianites was on the north. Here's the. First, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you some reasons why. Four reasons why it's hard for us to do it God's way and experience the results of God. The first reason is the enemy that." stands between us and God's blessing, makes it hard. The enemy that stands between you and what God has for you makes it hard. And what makes it hard is that the, is the, the enemy, in this case, the Midianites, they're real. This is, this is a real organized army that is mobilized for the sole purpose of wiping out God's people to prevent them from having what God had promised. Somebody say amen. Amen. Uh, Sometimes you say, well, what's so so revelatory about the enemy being real? Paul talks about this in in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, when he says, in verse 26, he says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. And so what, 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 sometimes the f- we do a whole bunch of fighting and swinging and we're frustrated and we're fearful, but the enemy we're fighting ain't even rhythm. We're fighting ghosts. We're fighting things that we can't change. We're fighting stuff that we can't control. We're fighting what somebody might have said or how somebody might be thinking, punching in the air. Paul says, when I fight, I'm not fighting aimlessly. I'm not just punching to swing, to hit the air. I'm fighting to hit the target of a real enemy. And so the first thing that we need to determine as we are trying to fix our minds around doing it God's way is that what makes it hard is that we have a real enemy, a real enemy says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. We have a real enemy, a real enemy. Isaiah put it like this. He says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord said, I will raise up a standard. I will raise up a standard. What's interesting about that statement that the prophet Isaiah makes in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 19 is this, that he doesn't say if the enemy comes in. He says when. It's not a question of if the enemy is going to attack us. It's when. He said the enemy will attack, but when he does, God said, I will raise up a standard. And so it's hard to do God's, what God wants because we have a real enemy who will come in, not like a trickle, not like a drip, but the enemy comes in like a flood. That's why we need to be fortified by prayer. That's why we need to be on one accord because when the enemy comes, he comes in like a flood. But thank God that he has a standard. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17 says, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. We quote that all the time. The verse doesn't say weapons will not be formed, that they will not be manufactured, that there won't be intentional uh, uh, efforts to strategize ways to take us out, but they shall not prosper. The enemy that we're facing as we move forward with the will of God to take back what the enemy stole is going to involve fighting a real enemy. A real enemy, no weapon formed against us. And so the reason why it's difficult to do it God's way, because the enemy is real. But not only is the enemy real, the enemy is near. Say near. near. Scripture tells us where the Mennonites were located. <laughs> they were only four miles away. You could see their enemies fire. You could hear the movement of their marching. You possibly could hear them uh, when they were cleaning their weapons. <laughs> They were near. They were near. One of the things that makes it hard for us to deal with life God's way is because our enemy is not only real, but the enemy of our souls is near. Sometimes the enemy is tormenting thoughts, triggers, things that we haven't been able, that that we have not. We can release them, but we haven't released them. Sometimes the enemy is near because we still haven't forsaken what, what, what the writer in the Hebrews talks about, forsaking the ensnaring sin, the entangling sin, the sin that so easily besets us. Sometimes the enemy is that near. Sometimes the enemy is the children that you gave birth to, they treat you like you're the worst person in the world, won't even call you on your birthday. I had a pastor tell me that his children went down to the dollar store and got him uh, some earphones for his birthday. He didn't put him through college. they making eighty dollars and $90,000 a year. He's still making $40,000 a year. They got him earphones. And then acted like something was wrong with him because he didn't accept the earphones. Don't, no please, children. Whatever you do, if you decide to give me, I'd rather you just say, happy birthday, love you, dad. Don't give me no earphones that you got from a dollar store. Your children can become your enemies. You can be sleeping with the enemy, the person that you said I do, the one that you stood before the, before the okay. Lord and, and, and the assembly, and, and you held hands and you looked into each other's eyes, now is your mortal enemy. In-laws can become outlaws. Sometimes your enemy that is near are your familiar friends? David said, if it had been my enemies, but these were folk I went to church with, the ones that I confided in, the ones that I worship with, and, and we talked to each other about the goodness of God, now they have daggers to stab me in my back. The enemy is near. The enemy is near. And so when, you, when, when the person, it's one thing uh, to deal with somebody that you don't have to go home to. It's one thing to deal with somebody that you don't have to work beside, but when that person is near, when that person is somebody that you depend on, it makes it hard to do it God's way to get his results. We know God says, vengeance in mine I shall repay, but our flesh says, do unto them before they do unto you. The flesh says, doesn't it also say in the Bible, an eye for an eye? I'm an Old Testament man. <laughs> in the two for tooth, the enemy's near, but the enemy also appears to have the advantage. Verse 17 of Judges says, now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all of the people of the east, all of the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number. And the, and the sand by the seashore in multitude. And so this, this fight, even before God told uh, Gideon to send people home, they were already outnumbered 5 to 1, and then it became 15 to 1. Then it became 500 to 1. And so sometimes the enemy seems to have the advantage. When you look at all this craziness on TikTok, and you go to the school, and the teachers are teaching our kids craziness, and you talk to a, a, what you think is a well-mannered and, and, and balanced adult, And all of a sudden, the evil is good, and, and good is evil. It seems like it's just evil is so pervasive that the enemy has the advantage. That's how David felt in Psalm 73. He said, when I looked at the wicked and how they were prospering, they never seemed to get sick. They lived in the best houses. Their kids went to the best schools. They drove in the best vehicles. And here I am running for my life. He said, my Foot almost slipped. I almost stumbled. I mean, I, I slipped. It's one thing to slip, it's another thing to stumble. He said, I was almost out of here. I was about to turn and go back into the world if it's going to be like this as a Christian. Sometimes it seems like the enemy has all the muscle and the manpower, the military training, and the mandate to wipe you out. And the enemy's winning. You ever feel like the enemy's winning? You've been praying, you've been pushing your plate away. You've been serving the Lord like, like you've never in the entire life, and it just seems like it's, it's worse than it's ever been. It gets hard to do a God's way to wait for His results when you're in the furnace. <laughs> and you don't see that fourth man yet. So David said, "I almost, I almost slipped. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard when it seems like you're on the losing team. I I was asking myself the question I was going through. Why is it so easy for Satan to recruit volunteers to do evil? And you got to pull and beg and scrape to get Christians to just come to church, let alone serve. Transition team, (laughs) what are you talking about? What am I, well, you know, why are you bothering me? Everybody's busy. Why don't you understand? Satan has no problem recruiting people to serve him, and they're unified in their intentions to suppress the truth with unrighteousness. The Bible says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and all who hold down the truth. They're people who are intentionally holding down the truth, even though they know what the truth is, and they're unified because their objective is to be in a position where God is dethroned, and Christians are silent. Here's a second reason why it's hard to do things God's way to get his results. The ways of God are strange. Say they're strange. He said, the people that you have are too many. We already have. Now, what you mean, too many? He said, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. 22,000. He <laughs> said, See you. See you on the other side, praying for you. Uh, we believe in God to be strong and of good courage, strength, fast, unmovable. Oh, hallelujah. God's ways are strange. Here's one of the things that made God's ways strange to Gideon was, he said, less is more. Less is more than enough. Less is more than He said, the people that you have assembled, that have responded, are too many. And so he starts with 32,000, and 22,000 of them say, it's time for us to go home. I think I hear my children. Isn't it interesting, when you look at the scriptures, the examples in the Bible, Moses, when he was in Egypt, he had everything. He had the best education. He, had, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. He wore the best clothes. He was at the top of his class. He was militarily trained. He was multilingual, all multi-cultured. He was intelligent. He was tall, handsome like me. He had it all. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, he was so confident in his skills and all of his credentials that he decided that he was going to be the deliverer of the nation of Israel before God called him. That's when he killed the Egyptian soldier, remember? And then the next day when he tried to talk to the Jew, Jewish, uh, two Jew, Jewish men that were fighting, they said, you're going to kill us like you killed him? And so Moses ends up fleeing from Pharaoh as a fugitive from justice, 40 years later, God calls him, and he tells him outside of the mountain of Horeb, he says, take off your shoes, I'm sending you back. Now watch this, it wasn't until Moses had less that he had enough, God had to strip him of his pride, strip him of his credentials, he had to strip him of his reputation, he had to strip him of all of his self-confidence and he had to strip. so he and by the time the Lord said I'm sending you back he said but I can't speak but I'm like this and I'm like that and all of that was true God said but less is more because I surely will be with you yeah. So sometimes God can't really use us because we think we at, that God needs us. We think we got something to offer. But God said I can't really begin to work through you until I strip you of you. Paul was talking about all of his credentials in Philippians chapter 3, a Jew of the, I'm a, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisee, born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law, excellent in law. And he just went through this whole list. He said, man, I was the guy. I, I, I was the up and coming star. I was following Gamaliel, the head of the Rabbinical school, the Sanhedrin. I was right behind him. I was going to be the person appointed. And he said, but then I met Jesus. And he said, everything that I thought I had and needed to make me what I should be, I realized that less was really more. And once I was stripped of all of those things, I came to understand that those very things that I was depending on kept me from what I needed most, and that was Jesus. Less is more with God. God says that in your weakness, I will perfect my strength. Less is more. When we come to God with an empty hand, he'll fill it. When we come to God with a bent knee, he'll, raise, he'll cause us to stand tallest when we're on our knees. Doesn't make sense when God strips us of all the stuff that we, work, we worked all the years to, to, to put in front of our house and put in front of our name. I said, Moses, now you're ready. You're just a smelly shepherd with a shepherd's rod turned over to me. Here's another thing about the strange way of God. God said, let him go. Let go. Now, notice the people that he said let go. He said two, two things about them. He said, the people that are fearful and afraid. Why'd he say the same thing in a different way? Because it's a different thing from being afraid to be fear, fearful. All of those who were with Gideon were fearful, they knew that the enemy outnumbered them and they knew that they lacked the skills. Gideon was nervous about that, but when you are afraid, that type of fear paralyzes you and it'll keep you from fighting. So there's some folks who have the spirit of fear and will keep on marching forward, but then there are those who are afraid when it's time to fight. They ain't nowhere to be found. When you got people who are afraid and fearful around you, that spirit is contagious, and it has the ability to kill more people's heart and courage than an invading force. When, when Moses, when the ten spies told the, the nation of Israel that we cannot inhabit the land, that spirit of fear permeated the entire nation. Two million Jews did not enter into the land because of the spirit. Gideon and Caleb were, afraid, were fearful too, but they weren't afraid enough to fight. And so anybody that's not willing to go forward in spite of their fear, that's what courage is. Courage says, I'm going to fight even though I'm afraid, even though I'm fearful. But if my fear paralyzes me, are there things that you should be doing, but the only reason you're not is because you are afraid? Oh, I, I know I can in my own strength, but God has deposited this, this challenge in my heart. There's a class I need to take. There's a place I need to travel to. There's somebody I need to talk to. There's a, there's a relationship that needs to be restored. There are places that I need to go. But, but, but if, if I go, I might, I might if, if you are, the only reason you find yourself not doing those things, you would have been one of the t- 22,000 that Gideon would have said, go home. Go home. Don't ever allow what you fear to make you so afraid that you won't fight. God's ways are crazy, but he said, go send them home. Jesus fed the 5,000 men, and then he started preaching to them and the greedy kids. They ate the the, the bread and the fish, and they said, damn, Jesus, let's start a church right here. You can be our first pastor. And Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Unless you accept what I'm about to do, my sacrifice of dying and, and being buried. Until you're willing to do Oh, we ain't never heard this kind of preaching. I, we heard name it and claim it, but this dude is talking about <laughs> accepting and making commitment. And then the scripture says that 5,000 of those men said, come on, kids. We got to go find food somewhere else. And so the, script, the Bible says that they left and they never returned. You would have thought that that Jesus would have been shook up. Man, I go from a, a church of potential 5,000 plus children. It could have been 15,000 people there that he fed with two fish and five loaves of bread. But then he turned to the leadership, the disciples. He said, y'all about to head up too? You, you, you see the door that they just went through? And then Peter said, where shall we go? You have the words of life. My point is this. Less was more, but when people aren't committed and you got to beg them, then the scripture said it's better to let people who are afraid to step out and believe God, let them go. One can chase a 1,000. Two can chase 10,000. If God be for us, who can effectively stand? We ain't supposed to have no 10 acres of land. Ain't nobody had no budget. Oh, the 1.6 million. How in the world can a church to be doing that? How can we pay off a property of $450,000 before we even settle on that? How can we do that? Because less is more when you put it in God's hands. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say amen. Yes. Won't he do it? Amen. Do it God's way. We get his results. The only God can get the glory here. Somebody say amen. He said, let him go. But here's another thing that's strange about Guy. He has a problem with carelessness in his service. He said, Gideon, I want you to take the 10,000 that you have left and I want you to take them down and get, let them get some water and I'm going to separate from the 10,000 those who are ultimately going to fight with you. And so he's watching and the Lord says, the soldiers that bent down, and as they bent down, they were lapping the water, lapping and looking, lapping and looking, lapping and looking. And then there was a second set, 7,700, who went to that same water body, and they put their whole face in. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, Oh, my God. They just gonna get, they ain't gonna miss nothing. But they're not looking. They're not careful. Let me just give you some words for for the word carelessness, some synonyms, sloppy, nonchalant service for God, negligence, reckless, saying things to people to chase them away from the church, reckless, that got quiet in here, Uh, thoughtlessness, not giving any real serious consideration for how, what are you going to render to the Lord. You don't just give God rotten things. You don't give God your, the least. You give God your best. Uh, yeah. Derelict, haphazard. God has a thing against careless folks when it comes to serving him. He don't want, we want God's top shelf. Black me, Lord, expand my borders. Move my territory, Lord God. I want the absolute best, and then we give God crumbs. We get careless when it's service. We're preparing the lesson on the way to church. When we didn't have cell phones, we were, we were trying to find our Bibles on Sunday. I actually had a deacon say to me, I was candidating for a church in Philadelphia, a very prominent church, and I said, well, one of the things if I were to pastor this church, I would expect for the deacons to bring their Bibles. This guy stands up. I don't need to bring my Bible to church. I've got my Bible hidden in my heart. So that I might not angry against her. I said, angry against and That's not even what it said. <laughs> the biggest gun I've ever seen in my life, I saw it at that church. One of the trustees had it. It came from here. To- <laughs> he couldn't <laughs> shoot nobody. If he wanted to, the littlest guy in the church carrying that big old gun. He sent 10,000 soldiers home. God doesn't want careless service. If you volunteer to serve, to help us get to where we're going, God is looking for nothing less than excellence. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so he says, send those, those soldiers home. See, soldiers need to watch and pray. We just pray. No, no, no. Jesus said, watch and pray. Soldiers need not to be entangled with the affairs of this world. We're so distracted. You can't serve God and be distracted by the the world's affairs. Soldiers aren't ignorant of the devil's devices. Peter talked about this. Be alert. Be on guard. Be diligent because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion who roams to and fro throughout the earth, seeking who he may devour. Soldiers are not ignorant. Soldiers are on guard. We are diligent and alert. We're not careless. Soldiers must practice in giving the Lord their best. God gave all of us talents, but don't be like the one, ta- the one uh, uh, servant who buried his talents waiting to get to heaven. No, God wants you to use the gifts that he has given you to build up the body of Christ for his glory. Somebody saying, and we're moving right along. Here's another thing that confuses us about God's strange ways, the materials that he uses. He said, I want you and the people To deal with the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people from the east. Now, God doesn't have a B plan. We are it. We it. He says, Gideon, gather the people, the 300 that are left, and I want you to do three. I want you to give them a trumpet to blow, a jar to break, and a fire to burn. And I want you to, the, the, the thing that blew my mind, I don't say nothing about a weapon. Where's the Uzi? Where's the tanks? Where's the guns? <laughs> no, nothing. You don't say nothing about that. And then he said, here's how, here's, here's, and then here's what, here's what you're going to do when you surround the enemy by separating into three separate groups. Do it God's way to get his results. It can't make, this ain't no weapon. This ain't no warfare strategy. What general would tell his soldiers to send 22,000 and 10,000, reduce down to 3,500 or 500? 500, odds Who would do that. God's ways are strange. And he said, when you blow the trumpets, here's, what, here's, here's what's going to, here's, here's the weapon I want you to the fire. I want you to shout. I want you to shout. And guess what they did? They shouted, <laughs> and the enemy became confused. I want you to know when we do it God's way, even though it makes no sense. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, come under the authority and submission of your husband as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, so that your days will be extended upon the earth and it will be well with you. It may not, oh, that ain't the way we do things now. People can make choices, and we can have alternative lifestyles. If we do, we see, the, we see the results of not doing it God's way. We have a crazy world. We're afraid to go anywhere. And even if you stay home, you breathe, the, stu- the air around you will kill you. If we do it God's way, we will get his results. It may no a, a, a trumpet to blow, a jar to break, and a fire to burn, but no guns, no knives. What kind of fighting is that Peter said? When Peter pulled out that knife to cut the guard there off, when he said, I want to go down with you, Jesus, if nobody else, he really meant it. But his idea of going down with Jesus was to get physical. He forgot that the Bible says our weapons, the weapons of our warfare, are not carnal, are not worldly, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. God's ways make no sense. He told them to do the the, the, the unthinkable. This is a setup for us to be destroyed. But they obeyed. They obeyed. Now, why does God require us? We'll be finished in a minute. Why does God require us to do it his way to get his results? You go back to verse 1. The first thing is God wants to defeat our enemies his way. He says, so that I will defeat the Malachites. The battle is not yours. It is not mine. It's God's. So the reason why he wants us to do it his way to get his results Is because he fights, he wants us to let him, he wants us, he wants to defeat our enemies his way. His way. We got ideas. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that way is a way of death. God wants us to trust him before, trust him for the outcome. When you get in verse 17, he says, I will save you and give the midnights into your hand. Before the battle's over, he said, I've already delivered you. I've already given the moment to your hand. That's where trust and faith comes in. Off, off, I so left out. One of the greatest weapons that God requires us to use is faith. Trusting God for the outcome. He said, I've already given them to you. So, God, whenever you're going through whatever Mennonites and Ammonites you're facing as you're trying to figure out why isn't God intervening? Why didn't he do it this way? Why didn't he do it that way? Why aren't these people in jail? Understand that God wants us to trust him and know that righteousness will prevail. Somebody say amen. amen. Here's the here's third thing. It says, it says uh, lest Israel claim glory for itself. Against me, saying that I have delivered myself by my own hand. God wants the glory. When we do it his way and get his results, who gets the credit? Man, look what I live. Look what I did. Look what they say about me. No, no, no. Look what God has done. Like, let your light so shine before men that they will bring glory to you. No, glory to God. Somebody say amen. And let's close with this. Now, how does God respond when we do it his way? When you get a chance, it says that the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. God, when we do it God's way, he caused the enemy to become confused. When we start shouting instead of running and complaining and cussing and becoming divisive and and, and unify around the instructions of the word of God, when they started shouting, the enemy turned their weapons on each other. And so the first thing that God does when we do it his way, the result was the enemies turned, the Israelites didn't have to lift a finger. They turned their swords on each other. God caused the enemy to flee. God caused them to run. He said, I'll make your enemies your footstool. The people that used to be your enemies are now trying to figure out how they can get you promoted. They fled. Now, here's the one that blesses me. God replaced fear with courage. The people that were chasing you, you will be chasing. (laughs) So what, what happens when the enemy becomes confused and they start fleeing, then Gideon says, pursue them. Chase them. Whatever has been causing you fear, when you do it God's way, he will replace your fear with courage. And now you're chasing what formerly chased you. What's been dominating you? What's been causing you to retreat? What has been robbing you of your joy? What's kept you awake at night? When we give it to God by faith, now you will have that under your foot and you will be chasing it. He will give you help. Here's what this is the last thing. God will give us help from others that we didn't even know were there to help. So what happens now, the Israelites are pursuing the enemy that had been pursuing them. And then God says again, now give another call to everybody that wants to help, even outside of the transition team, that we're going to get help from people that didn't even know we needed help because we're now asking for it. And so as they were pursuing, people came from everywhere chasing the enemy, and then they got a chance to be a part of what God was doing and even slaying the two kings so that by the time all this was over, everybody could shout. If we do it God's way, we're going to get God's result. and to do it God's way means that we have, to, we have to trust Him. We have to believe if God said it, that settles it, it's already done. Faith allows us to see the invisible as if it's already visible. Gideons received God's result. Stand with me because he did it God's way. It made no sense to send 32, 000, uh, to, to send all but 300. Men away. But God instructed, get in, and he did just that. He did just that. When you get an opportunity to look in the book of Luke, chapter 5, Jesus is preaching. The disciples, uh, James and John, have been working all night trying to catch, catch, catch fish. That's what they did, that was their livelihood. But Jesus needed a boat. They agreed to allow Jesus to preach from their boat. After he preached, he said, cast out, launch out to the deep. And then Jesus said something to Peter. He said, Peter, I want you to cast your net. And he told him what side to cast the net on. And he said, but Jesus, we've been trying to catch fish all night. Jesus, this is what we do. You preach, we catch fish. Jesus, the, the, they, fish do not respond to nets during this time of the day. There's nothing here for us to catch. But nevertheless, yeah. at your word, if you say do it this way, we're going to trust you for your results. And the Bible says that Peter and, his, and one of his helpers, they cast the net to the side that the Lord told them to drop the net down. And they had such a great catch, they had the, the nets begin to break, and they had to call others from the shore to come and help them with what they caught. If you wait to try to figure out what God is trying to do, you'll still be with an empty net. You'll never get to the side of where God is trying to lead you. But we need to come to the place as Peter and John, nevertheless. Is this what God wants me to do? Is it clear? Is the command clear? And if it's clear, we must obey. And when I line up with the word of God, God is obligated to fulfill the promises of his word. Somebody say amen. He'll do it. Somebody say he'll do it. He'll do it. He will do it.